This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. I want to talk to you a little bit about the life of Joseph, and today the title of the message is Seasoning. We're going to talk about what it is when God seasons us. Now, Genesis was written by Moses, and what's so interesting to me is that this story was passed out, passed down from generation to generation through oral tradition. And yet, of all the stories in the Old Testament, the story of Joseph has the most details of almost any story we read. We get the behind-the-scenes story of some of the emotions and the challenges and some of the things that Joseph went through. That story was so important that Hebrew fathers would and mothers would tell the story over and over, and the story was so clear that when it was recorded, we are so blessed this morning to know a lot about Joseph's life. And I tell you, the reason that's important is that God wants you to know about the life of Joseph. There's a reason why God preserved these details, and it's going to bring you encouragement today, and I, I believe you're going to see how His hand is working in your life. God it always seasons us and prepares us for something great. In fact, sometimes the greater the preparation, the longer the preparation, the more challenging the seasoning is, the greater the opportunity is. When God calls you to do something great, by His choice and by His design, He takes you through a process to prepare you. And we're always preparing today for what He's going to do tomorrow. It's a myth to think that just because you hear a call from God, everything's going to come easy. God has designed our lives differently and uniquely that He takes us through challenging circumstances because it seasons us, it deposits wisdom in our lives, and He chooses and allows us to go through trials for a very distinct reason. And one of the things you're going to see today is that despite whatever difficult circumstance that you're in, that if God has called you and if God has assigned you and if God has marked you, that He is always in control, that He is using every single circumstance of your life to bring out the character He needs in you to accomplish the purposes of God upon this earth. Starting in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 37, we pick up the story. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brother, the son of Billah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now let me pause for a second. A lot of times when this story has been interpreted, we've taken Joseph's age and said, well, he was spoiled or he was a tattletale. He took a bad report to the father. But I believe the evidence shows that Joseph had character. We find out later on the story that wherever he was, he had character. He resisted Potiphar's wife. He did things the right way. And that characteristic was already in him as a young man. And so he most likely reported something his father needed to know as an expression of his character. Verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a rich, ornamented robe for him. Now the traditional translation is a coat of many colors. We don't know that for sure. We know Broadway did a great play. Uh, at least it's a great play. I've never seen it. Is it a good play, Beth? 
Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, so we, we think that it's a coat of many colors, but it, the text doesn't actually say that. We know that they saw him coming from far, and so he probably had a very colorful robe. The important thing is this robe made the people jealous. It made the brothers very envious. In verse 4, when his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, for the, for the we're going to use this robe as an analogy today of God's call on our life, God's separation on our life, God's distinguishing presence on our life. Because when you begin to walk with the Lord from salvation to finding out your destiny and purpose, God begins to separate you. God begins to distinguish you. The favor of God starts to come on your life. And just as Joseph had this expensive robe that made him stand out, each one of you have the love of the Father that has marked you. You have the favor of God that has marked you. You have God's preference. Isn't that wonderful that our God is so incredible that He prefers each of us? We are all His favorite. We are all His chosen. We are all His distinguished. And He marks our life just as Jacob gave Joseph a robe that distinguished him from the others. God has placed upon us His Spirit and His call and His anointing and His destiny that separates us. And the first observation, if you want to take your bulletin, you're welcome to take notes with me. On the back of the bulletin, I've made it easy for you this week. You can fill in the blanks to help organize your thoughts. When God separates you, some people will despise it. Not every person, but often many people in your life will begin to despise that separation that comes upon you. Now, being different, we would think, are initiating positive change in our life. We think that everyone would, would see that's a good thing in our lives and would embrace it and cheer it on. But that's not always the case. I remember when I was single, um, I, I left college and had my own apartment, and I figured out something that food doesn't just magically appear in the kitchen, or it doesn't, you don't have a hot meal just to go stand in line and get a meal. You actually have to go to the grocery store and buy this stuff. And so I went to the grocery store, and, and I had one of those moments, and, and you've had them too. As you enter the grocery store, you just make this lifelong resolution to never eat junk food again. I mean, starting from this grocery trip on, I'm eating good. So I stayed on the edges of the grocery store, and, and it was a colorful basket. I mean, greens and reds, fruits and vegetables. Got the whole wheat bread. I mean, the stuff that has no taste. I mean, it's, it's the real thing. And in my heart, I mean, I'm pretty proud of myself. I am just looking at this beautiful basket, and, and I'm just thinking, this is it for me from this point forward. I'm Mr. You know, I'm carrots and granola from this day forward. Uh, it's this is going to be green stuff. No more of that fried brown stuff. I'm moving forward. But something very interesting happened to me as I'm going through the aisles. I run into a couple of my friends, and we're you know, I don't want to disappoint you, but, but I might not be like the, the most perfect example of health. I, I don't want to ruin your image there, but. I encounter my friends, and they see my basket, and all of a sudden, it became this huge joke. I, with, with a mocking tone, I remember one of them saying, 
look at Aaron eating healthy. And, and, and they started analyzing my, my, my grocery basket. And like, he got carrots. And I mean, and, and it's kind of a mocking tone. And something really strange happened inside of me. I was actually embarrassed about something that was good for me. And there was this part of me that thought, because I was getting teased and ridiculed, there was part of me that thought, man, I just wish I would have just thrown the junk through. I feel a little, little goofy or a little, a little stupid, a little dumb. And I was thinking of that story because when, when positive change comes in our life, we think everyone's going to like it. And let's start out with salvation. You give your life to Jesus and, and you discover a new way of life. You discover a life full of peace and, and integrity and, and just it just feels right. And you change. You see, when salvation happens, you change. And, and you think everyone's going to love this change you have. But people don't understand. They don't embrace that. And all of a sudden, just like my grocery basket, the changes that you've made the character in your life, the integrity, the resistance of sin, the faithfulness to church, the giving to the church, all the things that are good for you and you feel good about and you want to do the rest of your life, all of a sudden you feel a little silly and embarrassed about something that's good for you. And that's how life is. When you begin to step into new dimensions and you begin to progress in your life and you begin to become more of a leader, not everyone's going to embrace that. From your salvation to your call to your leadership gift, not everyone's going to understand that. And some people will even despise that within you. Why? Because your change is intimidating to them. You're changing. You're progressing. You're moving forward. And they're not moving with you. And there's a sense that they might not say it. It might not be intentional. But they want to drag you. They want to hold you back. They want to keep you from me from moving forward. Our gifting, the very thing God distinguishes with, our call, our salvation, our anointing, the very thing that God gives us, it's a gift from the Almighty, can be the very thing that others begin to resent about you. But can I just remind you this morning that when God distinguishes you, when God calls you, when God separates you, when God highly favors you, when God makes you different, it is His choice. It's not your choice. And you can't resist that. And you can't deny that. And you can't repress that just because it makes you feel uncomfortable. Because if someone resents God's marking on your life, if someone resents your robes, you know, it's a gift from the Father. And it's His choice. And you have to wear those robes. And you have to wear that calling. And you have to wear that gifting with the confidence that God wants you to have. So we move on to verse 5. And we move on in, in the narrative. And it says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed to it. Verse 8, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of the dream and what he had said. They despised him. In verse 9, then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. 
And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Number two, if you're taking notes, when God gives you a dream, and you can substitute if you want to a call or a lifestyle, you can use whatever kind of description you want. Not everyone in your life can handle it. Not everyone in your life could understand it. Now, we look at dreams very differently because we really encourage our kids to dream. We ask our kids to dream. We, we have uh, successories that we put in their room that challenges them to dream in our music and in our language and, and some of our education processes. But in this Middle Eastern ancient culture, this was a very controversial thing he did because there was a certain social order that that social order was to be followed. And you see the first dream starts in verse 7. And the first dream was the prominence Joseph was to have over his brothers. And in that culture, the younger brother never had prominence over the older brother. That belonged to Reuben. That belonged to the oldest. So Joseph's dream insulted his brothers. Joseph's dream insulted who they were, and it violated a custom. Sometimes that's what our dreams will do too. Our dreams shake things up. And when others don't understand it, it might be that no one in your family's ever been to graduate school, but God's called you to go to graduate school. And they're like, why do you need that? Why waste your money? We've made plenty of money without going to graduate school. But if God's called you to do that, and you shake up the social order in your family, it might be some of you are in difficult marriages and your family environment it has been, hey, it's not working out. Check out of the marriage. It didn't work out. Irreconcilable differences. Go find someone else. But God's called you to be faithful to your vows and to change that social order. And people will not understand it. When God gives you a call, not everyone can handle it. Not everyone can understand it. And people will begin to hate you. And the problem is this, is that that makes us very uncomfortable. But who do we want to make uncomfortable? The God who created us and holds our eternal destiny are the people that have always been in our life. I say God's ways first. God's approval first. He's the one that we're to please. So that's the first dream in verse 7. Then you go to verse 9 and he has a second dream that was even more controversial. Because the second dream, his father and his mother, his mother had already passed away, but symbolically, his father and his mother, the sun and the moon, were to bow down to him. This elicited a reaction from Jacob. Jacob, who had already distinguished Joseph as his favorite, even responded and said, how in the world, son, can you say this? That I'm going to bow to you? You see how audacious this dream was. You see, this call was unusual and it was different and it was taking Joseph out of his comfort zone. Yet, it was what God had called. You see, when we have God's work in our life, it begins to threaten traditions. And it begins to threaten habits. And it begins to threaten social order. But when it comes from God, we have to be faithful to His dream. You know, all of the time I see people despising others because of God's mark on their life. You get someone that gets some financial success and a little money and a little status and we begin, people begin to label them as snobs. They're just snobs. You get someone who gets a little education and people begin to label them as uppity. 
Do you have a single person who finds a companion and is enjoying a wholesome, a good relationship, and they are labeled as, oh, they're just desperate. They'll just take anyone. There's, there's no joy. We, we begin to label people. And here it is in the spiritual life. When you begin to get closer to Jesus, and you begin to shun the world, and you begin to separate yourself, people will call you self-righteous, and people will call you out of touch, and people will call you anti-culture. But the truth is, if you're doing it for the right reasons, it's just because you love your Jesus. It's just because you love Him. It's just because you want to be closer to Him. And so there are those who won't understand, but your God will understand. You know, this statement isn't always true, but there's a lot of truth to it. The, the higher you climb, the ladder of success, the less people are with you. The less people will be with you. That's why First Peter chapter 4 is so important to understand. Write it down. It's not in your notes. I want you to write down the Scripture. First Peter chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. Peter, operating in the wisdom of God, gives us some great insight. He says, you've had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, listen to this. This ancient wisdom that means so much to us this morning. Your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge in the, in the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. You know, the Scripture is very clear that if you're going to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. You will be persecuted. If I was a, to be a good pastor, I must warn you about that today. But can I tell you that there's a reward, the, the presence of Jesus, the favor of God, the distinguishing of God. When God's going to put that coat of many colors on your life, He is going to favor you and there is a blessing, there's a destiny ahead of you that's greater than anything you can imagine. But not everyone's going to embrace that. Not everyone will understand that. And Peter warns us about that. Let's go on to verse 20 in Genesis chapter 37. Come now. They, they, they did, one day, and, and I skipped over a part of the story, one day they uh, saw Joseph and they were alone with him in the field. And in verse 20 they said, Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And this is a key phrase in verse 20. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Other versions say we, we, we'll see what comes of this dreamer, which the actual root of that said, we'll see what happens to the master of dreams. They despised his dreams, and they couldn't stand the fact that Joseph had this dream. And when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Reuben was the one who was supposed to have this favor and rulership. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert and don't lay a hand on him. And Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take, back, take him back to his father. Verse 23, pay, pay close attention here. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the rich ornamented robe he was wearing. And they took him and they threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. That phrase, there was no water in it, is significant because we know their intent. They, they put him in a cistern where he could not survive. He was going to be, he was being murdered by this act. Reuben had intentions to come get him, but the other brothers didn't. Look at the beginning of verse 23. They stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing. People will try to take away that distinguishing mark of God in your life. They'll try to rip away that thing that God has given you that's special, and they will take that off of your life. 
and they'll rip that off of your life and they'll speak against the anointing on your life and they'll speak against the call in your life. They'll speak against the new lifestyle in your life because they can't stand the fact that God has favored you. Write it down, number three, if you're taking notes. Disgruntled people not only want to kill your dream, they want to kill your reputation. They want to assault who you are. And it's really the work of the enemy. The enemy wants to do that above everybody else. The enemy wants to assault your dream and assault your call. It's so interesting to me that they ripped off the robes. Because even in Joseph's death, they couldn't stand the fact that that robe was going to be with them. They had to take the robe away from him, even in his death, and they had to rip it up rip it up, and they just could not stand that fall. They could not stand that distinguishing mark. And so it is, so it is with us that people don't just want to kill us. They want to kill our reputation. They want to kill, and the enemy wants to do that. He wants to assault us from every angle, from every way he can, because if he does that, if he's able to do that, then he kills everything that God loves about us, everything that God has given that is precious to us. Do you see what the Lord is doing in Joseph? The Lord is doing something. He is He has given Joseph a dream, yet the dream took an awful, awful turn. We're in the middle of a story, and, and the story is going along just as you would predict any Hollywood script or any feel-good story. I mean, it's it's going that the father loves the son, the son has a dream, things are going well, and then this awful turn happens, this terrible turn of event happens. And you know, our lives feel that way too. So often we feel like we've been assaulted by people who are supposed to love us. We've been attacked by people who are supposed to care about our dreams. We've been going about our business trying to operate in character just like Joseph did. And then people who are supposed to affirm us have taken us, have ripped the call off our life, have tried to rip that very thing which is special to us from God. And they have on us in a pit. And there in that pit, we are being left to die. Some of you feel like you're in a spiritual death today. And you feel like you're down in the pit. And you're down in the pit and you've just been left there by die to die and no one cares about you. Can the story of Joseph encourage you today that even in the pit, God has a plan. That God has a purpose. He has not forgotten you. In fact, do you know what the pit stands for in the Hebrew? P-I-T, profit in trading. Just joking, that's not the Hebrew, but that's my interpretation. Sometimes that's what the pit is. Profit in trading. You're down in the pit and you're drying up and you think you're about to die. And those who know you the best and have loved you, are supposed to love you, hate your call and they hate who you are and they don't want your destiny to happen. That's what happens. But look what happened in verse 25. As he's about to die, they sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, knowing that these people had money. They were traitors. They were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Subsequently, Joseph was sold to these traitors. He was sold as a slave. He was taken into Egypt, and we'll discover the rest of the story in subsequent sermons, but it was in Egypt that his dreams came true. It was in Egypt that everything God promised came to pass. I want you to understand the last point, number four. 
that even when your dream and your life is assaulted, God is sending unusual provision down your pathway that will carry you to your destiny. Now that's a long point, but it's worth repeating again. Even when your dream and your life is assaulted, God is sending unusual provision down the pathway to carry you to your destiny. The Ishmaelites were the were the um, forsaken brothers. They were the distant cousins. They were not the people who were blessed. They were the people who were the... Uh, the Ishmaelites had received the alternative blessing. They had received the illegitimate blessing. They weren't supposed to be the people who were blessed. But yet God brought this little caravan of Ishmaelites. And He chose for them to come through that village that day and to go down that road that day because He knew in His providence that people were assaulting the dream that God had put on Joseph's heart. And He knew that God was going to provide something unusual, something different, something unexpected. And He was going to provide that because it was going to carry Joseph to his destiny. Can I tell you that with God, the very thing, listen to me closely, the very thing that seems to indicate the end of your dream is the very thing God can use to carry you to your destiny. You see, the story of Joseph reminds us today that despite our setbacks, despite the opposition, despite the misunderstandings, despite the apparent failure we're each facing, when God has marked us, and when God has called us, and when God has given us a dream, and when God has given us favor and given us this great salvation we enjoy, He is always using the circumstances of our life to accomplish His purpose and plan. God has not forgotten you. You might feel like you're in the pit today, but down the road, He's sending some unusual provision, and He is going to provide everything that you need. This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information. 